Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Crystal, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Caregiving for Your Loved One with Cancer. And this is a long-awaited program. It's an important program to offer. So many of you on this call and so many of you who contact us at Cancer Care are caregivers, and to some extent, this is a call just really for all of you. And also for anyone on the call who actually may be living with cancer themselves and is their own caregiver or wants to know more about what it's like to be a caregiver or what caregivers do. Um, and today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. So we have over 433 participants on the call today, so there are a lot of you on the call, and you come from both urban, rural, and suburban areas in the United States, and we also have international participants from Argentina, Australia, Canada, Japan, India, Nigeria, and United Kingdom. So this is really a bit of a global call, and it's just a bit of a, it's a rather global call, actually, and we're delighted to have all of you on the call today. Today's program is supported by Jazz Pharmaceuticals and Pharmacyclics, Inc. I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And now we have wonderful speakers up today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Aaron Kent. Dr. Kent is a scientific advisor for the Outcomes Research Branch, Health Care Delivery Research Program, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, National Cancer Institute. And Dr. Kent is going to um, address a definition of a caregiver, what research tells us about caregiving for an older adult and caregiving for a younger adult, and the role of the caregiver in communicating with healthcare team, and stresses on family, partners, friends, and loved ones. It's really my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kent. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It is really lovely to be here with you all today. I'm honored to be invited and to be participating on this important cancer care teleconference and to be speaking with people from around the globe today about this important topic about caregivers and um, caring for your, for your loved ones with cancer. I, I want to start by indicating first that I am I'm a researcher. My background is in research um, and as Carolyn mentioned, a scientific advisor for the National Cancer Institute. Most of my work has been focused on cancer patient outcomes, including quality of life and other um, attributes of the illness experience that really matter to cancer patients and their families. Um, I am not, however, a clinician, and I do not have the experience of providing direct medical or psychosocial care. So my role today, though, is to tell you more about what the research tells us about being an informal or family caregiver for someone with cancer. And I also want to start by saying that um, 
it's, it's really appropriate to be talking with you all um, through Cancer Care because um, a cancer patient survey that Cancer Care led in 2015 found that the impact that cancer can have on family was the number one concern of, of most cancer patients, indicating how critically important it is that we pay attention to cancer patients' families in addition to patients themselves. So I'll start by uh, talking about the definition of what we mean by a caregiver. So the definition that we use is that an informal, or sometimes we refer to them as family caregivers, are people who help individuals with cancer meet their day-to-day needs, what we often refer to as activities of daily living, and help provide care, comfort, and, um, and all kinds of assistance after a diagnosis of cancer. So the word caregiver is used um, by much of us in research and in and clinical care, but it doesn't resonate with everybody. Some people prefer the term care partner, carer, loved one, um, and so on. Um, but I'm going to use the term caregiver in this, in this uh, talk today. So caregivers could be spouses, they could be partners, children, relatives, friends, neighbors, or coworkers. When we talk about family, we really mean families of origin, um, but we also mean families of choice. It could be a a network of friends coming together and serving as caregivers. And the tasks that caregivers help with um, can be very many and varied. So they can include things like helping prepare meals, going to the grocery store, helping with household chores, bathing, eating, and and even more intimate tasks like that. Um, They can also include what we call medical and nursing tasks, like administering medication, changing bandages, and helping with things um, that sometimes come with the cancer treatment experience like infusion ports and catheters. Caregivers can also help by accompanying their loved ones to medical appointments, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, and communicating and coordinating, coordinating with healthcare providers, and sometimes even advocating for specific loved ones. So when we talk about caregivers it's, and, and how many are actually serving in that role, it's pretty difficult to estimate at any given point in time how many are serving in that role in the U.S. Um, but the National Alliance for Caregiving, which is another organization that's um, completely dedicated to helping um, advocate for caregivers across the U.S., um, conducts a survey about every five years, and their last survey was in 2015, and um, they estimated that about 43.5 million adults were currently serving as a caregiver for a loved one with a serious medical condition. And of those individuals, about 2.8 million um, were, had indicated that they were caregiving for someone who had cancer. Now, we think that this might be an underestimate of the total um, because uh, many people who are or helping someone with cancer, that, that person who has cancer might have other, um, other chronic illnesses or other serious medical conditions. So it can be hard to kind of tease apart. But um, it's safe to say that there are thousands of people right now who fit, who fit that caregiver role and thousands more to come. Um, and Rosalind Carter, the former first lady and caregiving champion, has been quoted as saying there are only four kinds of people in the world, those who have been caregivers, those who currently are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. So um, for caregivers out there, you are certainly not alone. And we know that there are many challenging aspects of being a caregiver, particularly for people who are doing a lot of caregiving per week. So thinking about like more than 20 hours, for example, per week. Um, 
And a recent uh, this this recent analysis that I mentioned that kind of that gave us that 43 and a half million number also found that um, cancer caregivers on average spend even more than um, caregivers of other types um, of illnesses. So about on average about 32 hours a week providing care. And um, we also know that care, cancer caregiving tends to be more episodic um, and, and can be more intense than caregiving for, for those living with other health conditions. So um, one of the things I was asked to talk about today was what the research tells us about caregiving for an older adult versus caregiving for a younger adult um, with cancer. And there are so many shared and unique experiences of caring for a loved one with cancer. And I'm really talking about patterns across populations and um, not because everyone's individual experience is going to vary so much and be truly unique. Um, but caregiving for adults of any age is often conducted by partners. So that could be a spouse or another kind of significant other who often face the competing demands of, of a career and child rearing. And caregivers of older adults are often older as well and might be facing some of their own health concerns. And research does show us that caregiving can actually exacerbate problems in physical or mental health. Um, in addition, differences in caregiver well-being have been shown across the caregiver care recipient relationship. Um, and in particular, um, adult daughters um, who are serving as caregivers um, often report some of the higher levels of distress than other relationship types. Um, we also know from other research, both observational research and research um, that's conducted in, in the form of an intervention um, show us that uh, uh, that it's often more common to see a spouse than another kind of caregiver um, providing care. Um, we also know that there are gender differences in, in some of the patterns that we see in caregiving, um, with women tending to serve um, in that caregiver role more than men, although, again, that's, that's just a generalization. Um, certainly, several men are, are serving as caregivers. And we also know that the range of needs among patients and caregivers across the life course is, is, is wide, um, indicating the need for really the availability of diverse um, resources and services. But fortunately, more resources are being developed. And for example, many of the peer mentoring programs that have arisen to provide cancer patients with a peer that has a similar cancer diagnosis and age are also expanding to provide um, peers for caregivers as well. So regardless of um, when someone enters that caregiving experience, if they're caregiving for um, an older adult, a younger adult, and we didn't even talk about caregiving for children, um, there are resources that are, that are out there and more that are being developed to kind of meet the needs of the caregiver wherever they may be. I want to talk a little bit about the role of caregivers in communicating with healthcare teams. And just to say very, um, very importantly that caregivers can play a significant role, and they already do, in communicating with healthcare teams on behalf of their loved one with cancer. So everything from um, scheduling appointments to understanding um, what can be sometimes complicated medic medication regimens and treatment plans, managing symptoms and side effects um, uh, can be very difficult even in the best of circumstances, and even more so when someone doesn't feel well. So this is where caregivers can play a very significant role. Um, so someone, a cancer patient who has a dedicated caregiver, someone who's willing and able to come to medical appointments and be there to assist, is it a com just be there for um, companionship, but also um, assist with listening, taking notes during appointments can be enormously helpful. Um, caregivers can ask healthcare teams, um, and, and, and I would encourage you to, about recording conversations um, if that is, if that is uh, of help 
just to make sure that all the terms um, are there later when, um, you know, sometimes that being in the moment can be pretty intense, and so being able to go back and sort of listen can be helpful. And and often healthcare teams will permit this, but 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 caregivers and patients themselves are encouraged to ask. Um, and we also we know though from the research that um, many cancer caregivers have not had the opportunity to have conversations with the doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers about these kinds of needs. And so, and in fact, that study that I mentioned earlier, only um, half of the caregivers um, that were surveyed um, reported that they had dis discussed their actual loved one's care needs with the provider. Um, and in addition, um, even fewer had 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 discussed with, with their healthcare provider teams um, how they were doing themselves as a caregiver. And so, again, we really do encourage this, even from the standpoint of talking about sort of performing these complex medical nursing tasks, um, given that it often really does take instruction, take, you know, showing that, that, that a caregiver really does understand what's being asked of them. Because um, we also do know that, um, that, that, that about half of cancer caregivers, again, surveyed, um, report, are reporting high levels of emotional stress. Um, and, and several, um, again, in the survey, about one quarter are reporting financial strain. So these are all um, challenges that can arise in the caregiving experience, which is a, a part of the reason why um, uh, researchers like me and others are, are, are encouraging of caregivers to really reach out and talk to healthcare teams. And so um, let me just say that I know that this, this does sound kind of negative, but I'm trying to provide these findings to you to help normalize any feelings that you might have about the stresses of caregiving. So it's not necessarily stressful or positive. It can be both. Um, and it can sometimes it can be at the same time, sometimes at different times. Because we also know that there can be benefit finding or positive aspects of the caregiver experience. And um, researchers from the University of Miami, um, including Dr. Young-Mi Kim, who's an expert in this area, have identified domains of benefit finding among caregivers. And that it can include things like acceptance, so helping to take things as they come, um, empathy, or sort of an increase in awareness and concern for other human beings, appreciation or more awareness of the love and support of other people, and family, um, which is just comes from being uh, together with um, close loved ones, and a positive self-view, um, helping to become a stronger person and cope more effectively. And finally, reprioritization, which um, being a caregiver really can um, provide an opportunity to sort of reprioritize and helping to identify um, deeper senses of purposes of purpose and, you know, which relationships really matter in one's life. So these are all positive aspects that can come out of, of caregiving. So it's normal to feel like it's hard, um, and it's also important to reach out for help. So social support is critical, and we sort of talk about social support among different dimensions, and I'll just talk about two here, which is um, instrumental support, which are things like um, having someone help with prepare meals, provide transportation to appointments, and help with childcare. We know that caregivers are providing that kind of support often to their loved ones with cancer, but caregivers themselves might need additional instrumental support from their social network. So someone to sort of pick up the caregiver's own children from school or someone to help organize a meal delivery train or something like that. Um, emotional support is also critically important. So that's things like providing a listening ear, providing companionship and, 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 and physical affection. Both kinds of social support are important and can benefit both patients and caregivers, and that's what I'm trying to impart in this talk today. 
Um, and in fact, when there's a situation that if, if, if there's a network of carers, so the patient at the center and then the primary caregiver next and then secondary carers on sort of the outskirts of that network, that can be the most optimal model. And there are actually some, um, you know, in this digital age, there's actually some online tools that can help organize support, um, two that, that people on the phone might have heard of are uh, Caring Bridge, and there's also something called Lots of Helping Hands. And these are um, websites that a person can register um, a list of tasks, schedules, and requests for help, for requests for different kinds of help. Um, that list can be emailed out to sort of a social network, and people can sign up for things like meal delivery, picking up kids from activities, yard work, things like that. Um, and these sites just, just help organize help so that the help is clearly communicated and responded to, allowing the help to be more efficiently spread out. In our increasingly busy world, this kind of instrumental support can actually um, serve as a sort of emotional support as well because it can be a big stress reliever. I want to mention respite care programs, um, which allow caregivers a break by providing paid caregiving services, um, which can really help preserve caregivers' energy, and they're often unused. Um, there's often a lot of formal interventions uh, delivered by healthcare professionals designed to help caregivers alone or caregivers and patients help cope together. And these, um, these kinds of interventions can come in the form of um, skills training, um, things like helping to problem solve through a, a caregiving uh, challenge or therapeutic counseling, um, also support groups. And um, again, that's another reason why it's important to reach out to healthcare teams if, if things just become too overwhelming or too stressful to help manage. Um, there are also other kinds of uh, resources out there. Uh, the National Cancer Institute has a website called Families Family Caregivers and Cancer. Um, Cancer Care themselves have a lot of additional materials to provide resources on their website. Um, the American Cancer Society, Cancer Support Community, Family Caregiving Alliance and, um, also have resources as well. And I also just wanted to close by um, mentioning that I recently contributed a chapter to a book that's um, geared towards um, psychosocial um, professionals or people who um, provide uh, uh, psychological care, um, mental health care to cancer patients and their families. And it's called Cancer Caregivers, and it'll be out in a month. But I, I wanted to mention it in case it is of interest of anyone, um, but also just to let everyone on the on the phone know that, 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 that there's really a lot of increased attention to the needs of caregivers for those who have cancer. Um, that the medical community is paying um, more and more attention to caregivers, um, although I recognize we still have a long way to go. So with that, I think I'll, I'll wrap up and just say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for spending um, precious time on the phone with us today. And, um, and again, to Cancer Care, I'm happy to provide all of these resources um, written out, and I'll go ahead and hand it back over to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kent. That was really outstanding and really set the whole stage for the program. And the book that uh, that Dr. Kent mentioned, um, uh, Family Caregivers, Caregiving, I believe, it's um, actually uh, written, uh, it's edited by um, Alison Applebaum, and we will actually have the reference for it. When you, at the end of the program, we'll get an evaluation, but the evaluation also includes anything that any one of us have mentioned during the call that might be a nice resource for you. So um, that will be mentioned for you as well so that you'll be able to um, take a look at the book. It will be probably in many of the 
places to look at it. It really does a wonderful compilation, as you can tell. Dr. Kent wrote a chapter in it, but many wonderful um, chapters about caregiving that will normalize that experience even for, further for you. So, thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is a um, she's a nurse um, and she's a nurse educator. Um, she's research and practice development, National Institutes of Health Clinical Research Center. And Ms. Flynn is going to address talking with each other and shared expectations, care coordination, challenges and tips, long-distance caregiving, and practical tips for managing caregiver stress. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Great. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. And I would like to welcome all of our participants for joining us today. Um, as Dr. Kent said, it is precious time, and we really appreciate you being on the call today. And hopefully um, you'll walk away with some takeaway points that you can um, act on when, um, through the rest of your day and weeks. Um, so Dr. Kent um, did an excellent job of defining what it means to be a caregiver, the role of the caregiver when talking to your healthcare team. Um, I really like that she talked about um, having not only peer support for your, um, people with cancer, but also cancer um, caregivers, having support for them that, within their age group. So if you're a younger caregiver um, or if you're an older caregiver and everybody in between. And so I'd like to start by saying there is no one right way um, or one way to be a caregiver. We all have unique strengths that we bring to the role, and we should celebrate them. Um, and one way to do that is to talk to our loved one about how involved they would like us to be with their care and what, they, what their hopes are for us working with them. Um, talking about cancer is difficult. Um, you might feel overwhelmed, lonely, sad, angry, or nervous about the future. This is the time to be open and honest with your loved one. Talk about your hopes and fears, what worries you, what brings you comfort. And remember, it's an ongoing process. It's not just a conversation after you receive the diagnosis of you have cancer, but it goes on for the entire time that you are a caregiver. What worked in February may not be working in March, and that's okay. Um, work together to figure out what needs to be changed and then to make those changes. Sometimes seeking out the help of a counselor to talk about your feelings um, and to talk about your loved one's feelings is important. Um, try to avoid finger pointing and focusing on what's going wrong. Um, focus on what's going right and what changes still need to be made uh, to make things um, go smoother. And I uh, like the help of a counselor to help with the creative process of, okay, here's, here's what's not going right. Um, what have other people done in this situation um, to make it uh, smoother? Um, other strategies um, um, include just being honest with people. Um, I, know, I have a situation of when I had a patient, um, he was a, a patient with cancer, and he told his wife that, you know, it's really not helpful when you come to the treatment appointments. And as you can imagine, she was quite hurt by that and couldn't understand why. Um, 
And so it it took a little bit of um, sitting down with the three of us to figure out that when his wife came to his treatment appointments, she was anxious about being there. And then that made him anxious and he wasn't able to to feel well um, during his treatment appointments. And so once his wife understood that, they invited a close family friend to come. And when that family friend came, um, he brought a deck of cards. Um, They watched cowboy movies. They did laps around the unit. And it was a great distraction for both of them. And that way his wife was able to um, do things that needed to be done around the house, um, getting ready for the meal that evening after treatment. She was able to have some time, um, some downtime to herself to visit with friends, to attend to her medical appointments. And so I use that as an example um, to just simply ask um, if you're in a bit of a jam or you don't understand, gosh, I'm not sure what my loved one's saying to me, sometimes pulling in uh, the assistance of a caregiver or another family member to help bridge that understanding is, is particularly helpful. And when coordinating care, it can be very challenging. So I have some tips for caregivers. The first one is um, if you're still working or maybe you're a younger caregiver and you're still going to school, um, talk to your employer or your professors and let them know about your caregiving responsibilities and how this might impact your work or your school. A lot of times professors and employers um, can be more flexible with your time um, and at least their understanding of um, if you need to take leave early for an appointment um, or if you need some extra time off. Organizational tools are are most helpful. Um, They can help keep track of complicated medication regimens. Um, If you have to, if your loved one has to take three pills in the morning, two pills in the evening, um, it can be, um, after a long day, uh, confusing. Gosh, what's that? two pills in the morning or three pills in the evening. So keeping track of medication regimens, when prescriptions need to be refilled, when um, you have medical, multiple medical providers, keeping track of those appointments um, if you're not organized can be really overwhelming. And even, I say, those routine tasks continue to happen. So still need to get groceries in the house. The car still needs an oil change. So having a list of all those tasks and being able to ask people to help you um, with those tasks um, can be particularly helpful for caregivers. And I always encourage um, people to write down their questions. Um, Some people find it helpful to have it in a physical notebook. Um, Other people have it on their phone or computer and can pull it up quickly during that medical appointment. They keep track of the questions um, that they would like to have answered. And um, recently, I started doing this. Um, We're getting more and more complex treatments where I work, and sometimes I don't always initially understand how all of these components work. And so I've said, could you draw me a picture um, to our physician team to say, you know, if I know exactly what's happening when and have that, that image of it, I'm better able to understand that. So please don't leave a medical appointment um, or, or a treatment session without understanding um, or getting all of your questions answered and having a full understanding of that. And finally, with coordinating care, you don't have to be the sole caregiver. Um, If you're organized and you have that list of tasks that need to be done, it's a great way to enlist the assistance of your long-distance caregivers, of your local caregivers, of friends, family, community members. 
And so talking about long-distance caregiving, it's something that I'm seeing more and more in my practice. Long-distance caregivers are caregivers who live far away from the people living with cancer. They can provide significant emotional support by listening to not only the person who is living with cancer, but also for our caregivers. Um, It's important for our long-distance caregivers to stay in touch um, with the caregivers and the loved ones. Um, And they're a great way to uh, um, approach difficult topics such as a living will or personal finances. Um, So if you are a caregiver, um, whether you're local or long distance, you provide that important role. And um, if you're a local caregiver, reach out to those long distance caregivers that may live in the next town, the next state, the next country to help you with um, with the caregiving. So long distance caregivers can coordinate medical appointments, Um, they can keep track of those appointments on a calendar that you share with them. And um, as we know, that can sometimes be a full-time job with appointments, so enlist their help. They can update family members and friends. As Dr. Kent talked about, CaringBridge is just one tool, online tool, to share um, resources uh, that, that are needed for caregivers and for our patients or our loved ones living with cancer. Um, assign a long-distance caregiver to update that uh, web page. Um, and that way, you as the, the local caregiver won't have to field so many phone calls. Um, you can have someone updating that, and that can be, you know, even some of our younger members, our teenagers, our college-age kids, um, want to help out with the caregiving experience too, and this is a way that they can help participate. Long-distance caregivers can be on the phone during a medical appointment um, so they can get questions answered or to clarify questions. As Dr. Kent said, sometimes recording um, the appointment conversation is helpful. Um, Always ask your medical provider first if you can do that, and then have your long-distance caregiver listen to it and see if they maybe have some further questions. Long-distance caregivers can keep track of the paperwork and bills so that they're not piling up. They can also help with coordination of transportation, meal delivery service, prescription refills, the lawn service, home repairs. Um, And I say those are all kind of chores, but they can also help out with the fun things, um, such as pet therapy coming into the home or to the treatment center. Um, They can coordinate maybe a massage or having members of your faith community or community service organization, um, friends and family come to visit. There are many different types of, there are many different phone apps that can help with the coordination. And I know Cancer Care has an entire list of these resources um, that you can ask them about um, or learn about more on their site. And so next, I want to talk about some stress management tips as a caregiver. Um, First, um, looking into counseling services. Everyone needs someone to talk to, and this is especially important when you're going through a stressful period, um, such as caregiving for someone who has cancer. Sometimes caregivers feel like they need to protect their loved one or shield them from the stress of, of the bills um, or of prescription refills and running around to multiple pharmacies. Um, and we want them to be able to to honestly talk to their loved ones. And having a trained professional, such as a social worker, um, can definitely relieve some of that stress of caregiving. So please give yourself permission 
um, to talk to someone about your individual needs, questions, or concerns. And also consider joining a support group. Um, I, I know if I said support group to my husband, um, he's thinking of a traditional face-to-face -face, uh, support group. But over the years, support groups have changed. Um, some of them still meet face-to-face, -face, and they provide an important um, service to individuals. But now there are ones like Cancer Care that offer support online um, for people to, to write into and get support 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Most hospitals have support groups, not only for our, our people living with cancer, but also for our caregivers. So I encourage you to ask your medical teams to talk about the services that they offer. A very important thing is to set aside time for yourself. Uh, Dr. Kent talked about respite care, um, which would be a great way to um, uh, take a break for um, maybe a couple days. Um, I'm talking about a little bit shorter time, maybe one day or maybe just an hour. Um, and when I say set aside time for yourself, it isn't going to the grocery store or doing chores on a list, um, but it's going out to lunch with your friends, maybe working on your hobby, uh, maybe going for a long walk or something else that you really enjoyed and helps relieve stress and anxiety. Give yourself permission to smile, to laugh, and to have fun because you as a caregiver are important. Some other basics is to exercise at least 30 minutes a day, five times a week. Make sure that you're getting six to eight hours of sleep at night and to eat healthy, um, plenty of water and have fruits and vegetables. Um, being a caregiver doesn't mean giving up on you and taking care of someone else. It means getting the rest that you need, going to your own doctor's appointments, and taking care of yourself. For some people, keeping a journal, whether that's a paper journal or an electronic journal, is very helpful to process their feelings. They might be worried about their loved one receiving chemotherapy treatments, um, and it's a great way for them to be able to process their feelings. For others, a journal isn't for them, but they enjoy photography. Um, or they enjoy, enjoy drawing or painting, gardening um, to help express their feelings. I would encourage you to try any and all of those and find out what works best for you. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Sometimes in our American culture, we think that we have to do everything ourselves and that if we ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. Um, and this simply isn't true. Um, we need everybody's help, starting with the medical team um, and ending with the post office that brings the mail and cards of support. Everybody in between, including the caregivers, are so, so needed um, to help um, support our loved ones with cancer. And so please ask for help. Um, and, and are you feeling depressed or lonely? Are you still in a state of shock um, from the cancer diagnosis? We know that this can affect the caregiving experience, and it may tempt you to skip a dose of your medication because you're, you're worried about your loved one. Um, we want you to um, continue on with your medical support um, if, if that's needed. Um, we don't want you to feel alone. Know that um, you are important and that support is here for you. All you have to do is reach out to us, and you can reach out by phone, by email. There's many, many different ways. 
And so I'd like to wrap up this my session by a quick breathing exercise. So for everyone out there, I'd like you to sit down in your chair, if that's comfortable for you, with your feet on the floor and your hands relaxed on your lap. If sitting in a chair isn't comfortable for you, find some position that's comfortable for you. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think of a location that makes you happy. For some people, this is being at the beach. Maybe it's looking at mountains or sitting on a swing hanging from a tree. Now I want you to take a deep breath in using all the muscles in your chest. Deep breath in and then hold it for several seconds or as long as as is comfortable for you and then slowly exhale. And we're going to do that two more times. So take a deep breath in and hold it and then exhale. And this final time, I want you to smile. I want you to inhale in and hold it and then exhale and think about all of that stress and worry leaving you. And I want you to lean into the experience of being calm. And then when you're ready, gently open your eyes. And you can do this simple breathing exercise anywhere you go um, when you need just a moment of calm. And so in summary, I would just like to say that you're not alone. There are lots of networks out there like Cancer Care, Um, in your local medical community to support both you, the caregiver, and the person living with cancer during this difficult journey. Remember that you can do this. Thank you so much for having me on this call today. I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Flynn. That was really extraordinary. And I think everybody on the call um, really appreciated that the exercise at the end of your presentation as well as everything you said during your presentation. So thank you very much. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, and I know everyone's going to want a copy of the exercise so they can remember exactly how to do it. And we'll try to provide that to everyone as well. Thank you so much, um, Ms. Flynn. And our next speaker is Ms. Sarah Kelly. Ms. Kelly is an oncology social worker, and she's a social work internship program director at Cancer Care. And Ms. Kelly is going to be addressing coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions, managing family, partners, friends, and loved ones, key strategies for self-care, and Cancer Care's free psychosocial programs and services. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, um, Sarah Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And I'm going to be starting today, as Dr. Messner said, really talking about how to manage um, special occasions, days that are important to us. And that could be birthdays, it could be anniversaries, it could, of course, be different holidays that we might celebrate. And how do we do this? You know, how do you go about doing this as a caregiver? Um, Often these tend to be hectic times, and there may be pressures around buying presents, preparing, you know, foods, um, maybe decorating. And then in the midst of that, um, there you are, full-time caregiving for someone going through a cancer diagnosis. And so how do you do it? I, you know, I think one of the most important things, which certainly um, Ms. Flynn and Dr. Kent talked about, is the, the idea of self-care 
and this is something we hear a lot about um, in this day and age. Oh, self-care, self-care, we have to practice self-care, but how do we do that? Um, and it can be small, which I know Ms. Flynn really pointed out. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, this huge thing that you can do. It could be taking five minutes um, or maybe even two minutes out of your day to do something like a breathing exercise, which is wonderful because it slows our whole system down. You know, when we're stressed out, our body releases stress hormones such as epinephrine, norepinephrine. It raises our blood pressure and increases our heart rate, blood sugar levels. You know, so we want to do what we can to kind of bring that down. And something that sounds simple like a breathing exercise is such a good way of doing it. Um, you know, taking a really quick, like a short five-minute walk um, just around the block or around the neighborhood, these are some small things um, that you can do and, and reaching out. Um, you know, for example, let's say it's a loved one's birthday and you're feeling very stressed out about how to plan it, how to manage it, what do they want. Reach out, communicate. You know, I would say really that communication piece is so important, whether it's communicating with your, you know, loved one who's diagnosed or communicating with other people in the support network. That piece is huge, you know, especially in terms of your, your loved one and their decisions about birthdays or holidays, anniversaries, you know, what is going to be important to them? What do they want to do? How do they want to celebrate it? Um, you know, that experience is so unique to them. Uh, and certainly you want to have their input in there and have that communication be open. So talking um, through your feelings with them uh, in going forward with holiday planning or birthday or anniversary planning. And, you know, what I would say is, uh, try to encourage flexibility in it. Um, you know, I think that during all of this, um, you know, it's really not the same as when your loved one was not affected by cancer. However, that shouldn't discourage you um, as their caregiver from maybe finding new ways um, and creating new memories around a holiday or a birthday. Um, that can be including others, um, you know, definitely communicating with your loved one about what they want um, you know, what can be the, the best way for them to foster maybe some new traditions and focusing on the here and now. Um, you know, often it can feel like a loss. You may remember the birthday from the year before, um, but focusing on the here and now. They're here, um, you guys are together, and you may have the love and support of family and friends around you. So really staying with the here and now. And I, I loved what uh, Ms. Flynn said about smiling and having fun. Um, remembering that, yes, you're a caregiver to someone who's going through cancer. You're all in the cancer experience, um, but it's not who you are. It's an experience you're having. And so remembering who you are, the things that are important to you, the things that bring you joy, you know, that I think is going to be so important. And, you know, in this also, um, I did want to talk about, well, how do you um, deal with other people in your life, you know, your family, your friends, your maybe your employers, um, you know, the other people that are involved in your life. And I'm, I'm going to go back to, to really Ms. Flynn's point of um, having that communication and being direct, um, being open, um, being honest. It can be very hard to ask for help, um, sometimes even just communicating what's happening to you. I hear from caregivers that they think, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, this means I'm asking for help or it sounds like I'm asking for help, um, when in fact it's just sharing what's happening for you. So keeping that communication open um, to help other people manage their own expectations. You know, if I'm thinking about the birthday example, birthday this year 
is maybe very different from from the birthday last year, helping them understand that so that they're coming to the situation with a a really clear understanding of what's happening for you and your loved one. So having that communication be there and having it open I think is so important in all of those. And, you know, I would say just kind of going back to self-care for a moment, check in with yourself. Um, And this is not something... um, historically in Western culture that we're great at, but check in with yourself. How am I feeling? Um, you know, these are questions you can ask. Do I feel stressed out right now? You know, taking a moment to do that. How do I feel it? Am I feeling it physically? Am I feeling it emotionally? Um, you know, our body certainly responds to physical and emotional stress. Check in with your body. Um, listen to it. It'll help you kind of figure out where you are. And again, um, something small like a breathing exercise Um, physical exercise, even taking a walk, making sure that you're getting sleep and rest when you need it, Um, keeping up with diet. It's often something I hear from caregivers that, oh, I forgot to eat or, you know, I just grabbed a handful of chips because we were doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, really um, creating a space and a time to honor yourself and honor your body by giving it what it needs. Um, Stay connected. Right, so a moment ago I talked about you know family, friends, the people in your life. Stay connected. Let them know what's happening to you, and then remembering um, what you enjoy. You know, what are things you enjoyed in the past? Are there new things you enjoy, whether it's a hobby or you know a book club or whatever it is that you you maybe want to be a part of? So it's keeping these things in mind, um, and then with that, knowing your limits, um, allowing yourself to say no, um, which can also be difficult. But if someone is asking you to take on a task that you feel like you don't have the time or energy to complete, um, being able to say that to someone and to share why. And then I know um, Ms. Lynn and Dr. Kent talked about sort of getting organized, which is certainly not the easiest in all of this, but um, sort of breaking things down into the manageable chunks. So um, concentrating your efforts on things you can control, Um, you know, the idea of just kind of having some flexibility in it and then creating an organization around that to help. And as uh, Ms. Flynn said, there's online tools. There's all kinds of things that you can use to do that. Um, I even think just simple lists tend to help. Um, So those are some of the things um, that you can do just in terms of the self-care. I also just want to talk about some of the things that are out there. I know uh, Ms. Flynn talked about, and Dr. Kent talked about, CaringBridge, um, and also the lots of helping hands. Um, Cancer Care does have a partnership with them called My Cancer Circle, which you can access from our website, or you can go to www.mycancercircle.net. It is an amazing uh, free online tool, and it basically allows caregivers to create a private, secure community and that uh, they can build a network of support, including family and friends. So you start by building a community page, and then you invite people you know to join. Um, So you invite the people that you want to be a part of that network, and there's a calendar feature, and friends and family members can designate time to volunteer for certain things. Um, That could be transportation, meals, childcare, those kind of practical needs. Um, But it also could be, you know, having time for someone to just come over and uh, socially spend time with you or your loved one. And you can also add personal messages, treatment updates, photos, videos, all of those good things. So that's a great tool uh, tool to have. Then there is another tool um, out there called Help for Cancer Caregivers. 
And it's an online tool. It was a collaboration of Anthem, uh, Cancer Care, and the Caregiver Action Network, Indiana U University, and Michigan State University. And the idea behind it was to assist caregivers um, create their own personal care guide to help them navigate um, the world of caregiving. Because we know that this is very complex. Our healthcare system is complex. Life um, is certainly complex. Um, and it's very quick. You answer six short questions based on how you've been coping, and it comes up with its own personal care guide. So that's a great tool. You can get that from our website. Um, and then it's also its own website, which is www.helpforcancercaregivers.org. And then I, I also wanted to, to mention something that Dr. Messner um, brought up in the very beginning of our talk today about um, those who may not have a family caregiver. So um, for those who don't have someone in your life who's able to provide care for you, speak up. Let your medical team know that this is happening. Um, it might feel difficult. There could be feelings of shame, um, but know that there are a lot of reasons that you may not have a caregiver and you're absolutely not alone in it. You know, that could be anything from unhealthy family relationships, um, friends or family who are also diagnosed or coping with their own health issues. I mean, these are just only two reasons why you may not have someone. There are a multitude of reasons. Let your care team know um, so that supports can be put in place to address your needs. Community agencies, religious institutions, um, volunteer and respite care programs, there are supports out there for you. And um, I'd like to sort of uh, shift gears a little bit, um, just talking about cancer care and how we can also be a part of this support network. So a little about us, we're a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We do that face-to-face -face in the New York area, over the phone nationally. We have support groups, which we also provide face-to-face -face in New York, over the phone nationally and online nationally. We have education programs like this one that we're on today. We also provide practical help, how to navigate the healthcare system and do provide some financial assistance assistance. All our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers, and as I said, they're free of charge. An oncology social worker really is trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person in his or her family uh, and friends. We're also trained to help patients and their caregivers tackle the problems that accompany the disease, financial demands, physical changes, social adjustment, and really overall um, psychological impact in care. And I find that adjusting to and finding ways of coping with the diagnosis is an important part of the healing process, and I actually consider it to be a part of treatment. Um, as Ms. Flynn and Dr. Kent said, you're not alone in this. Yeah, you don't have to walk the path alone. If you're in a support group, you're connecting with others who are caregiving and going through a similar situation with individual counseling, you really have a space that's just yours uh, to voice any of the concerns that may be coming up for you. And the connections can help lessen the isolation um, that caregivers experience. You know, sort of going back to uh, Dr. Kent's um, discussion of that study the National Alliance for Caregiving put out about the high levels of emotional distress um, that caregivers reported. It's important to process that. You're going to have a lot of feelings going through this. That's anything from um, anxiety to sadness to anger, uh, maybe guilt to joy, all of these feelings. And so what do we do with it? You know, they, they need to be 
allowed to come up. They need to be processed. And that's something that we can help you do. At this time, um, we offer a number of programs for caregivers. So we have groups, both face-to-face, -face, on the phone, and online for caregiver populations. And of course, we also provide the individual counseling. If you're interested in any of our programs, um, please let us know. You can visit our website, which is www.cancercare.org. Um, and our website is very comprehensive. You'll find information on your loved one's diagnosis, information on caregiving. We have a whole caregiver portal, um, but also just uh, information about our services. And you can also call us on our HOPE line, which is 1-800-813-HOPE or 1-800-813-4673. You know, we've um, talked about a lot of different things today. It's a lot of information to kind of get your arms around. So know that we're here to help you understand what it means for you and your family. And again, please, please remember you're not alone in this. Our services are here to help. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Kelly. That was really outstanding and really lots of resources for people. And again, in when you get your evaluation for at the end of the program today. Um, it will include all the resources that have been mentioned throughout the program so that you're going to, in addition to whatever notes you're taking or not able to take notes, you'll have it all in writing from us. Um, so you'll have it all um, to have in front of you. Um, and now we have time for questions, actually. I'm going to ask Crystal to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. Some of you are already queuing up. I'm going to ask Crystal to explain to everybody how to queue up. And um, we'll take as many of your questions as possible. If we don't get your question, then at the very end of the call, I'll address how to get your questions answered. Crystal? Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star and then 1. So we have a question from one of our online participants. Um, and this question is uh, for, um, I'll start with uh, Ms. Flynn. What tips um, can, can you what tips can you provide to avoid burnout with my responsibilities as a caregiver? That's an excellent question. Thank you so much for that. Um, there are a couple things that I would recommend to avoid burnout. Um, and the first one is to take care of yourself, to have that break. Um, I, I try and advocate every day to do something for yourself. Um, if you can sneak, you know, a half an hour in, an hour in, even if it's 15 minutes of doing something that you enjoy um, to do and to help take care of yourself, in addition to really focusing on your nutrition, um, getting your exercise, and getting your sleep. And if you're struggling with any of those aspects, to ask for help. Um, Burnout happens when um, we feel like the weight of the world is on us and we're doing this day in and day out and not having the support. So to really reach out to your community. Um, and maybe you don't have family members living near you. Um, there are lots of different services around um, that your um, cancer provider can help um, recommend to you. Um, cancer Care has lots of services um, that Ms. Kelly talked about. Um, they're out there, and you just have to, to reach out and um, say, yes, I, I need some help, um, and this is how I need some help. 
And they can help you figure that out too. You can go to them and say, you know, I feel like I'm getting burned out. Um, I don't want to be angry and burned out and then, um, you know, snap or be angry at my loved one with cancer. Um, we want to, to get to you before that happens. So please, please reach out to us and um, we can talk about different ways to, to help you with that. Excellent. Thank you. And we have a question in front of our um, telephone participants. Thank you. Our first question comes from Jackie H. Your line is open. Hi, thank you. Um, great talk, by the way. Um, I was wondering, you had um, referred to respite programs, and I was wondering if you could describe what a typical, I think you said, two-day kind of stay would be like, what would it entail, and uh, where are they in the um, New York City area, or is there a website I can go to myself and uh, look for where they are? Thank you. Excellent question. Um, uh, Ms. Kelly, do you want to address that question? Sure. So um, respite care at the end of the day is going to provide you know, temporary relief to the primary caregiver um, from just the continuous support and care of taking care of your loved one. Um, those services can include companionship, um, helping uh, your loved one with the activities of daily living, meal preparation, light housekeeping, um, hygiene tasks. And with respite care, um, if, you're, if that is something you're looking for, please speak to your medical team because they will be able to arrange that for you. So um, what I'm in your medical team, your loved one's medical team. So please discuss that with them. These programs are available. They are out there. Um, we don't refer to any one program, but your hospital or medical team will be able to. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have a question from of our online participants. Um, so um, this is a question for, um, for Dr. Kent. So when is it appropriate to stop caregiving? And actually there's a companion one. Um, I think that would be it. When, when is it appropriate to stop caregiving? So <clears throat> thank you, Carolyn. That is an excellent question, and I think it's going to really depend on the individual circumstances for both the caregiver and then the care recipient. I mean, one thing that we, we talk a lot about when we talk about caregiving and, and research is, you know, there are, there are some caregivers that come to their caregiving experience sort of out of choice and then others that, that report really feeling obligated for a variety of different reasons. Um, relationships are very complicated and people bring into a cancer experience their past histories. Um, so I don't think that that's going to be an easy um, answer to provide uh, it's really going to depend on, again, the individual circumstances. And I think I would just echo um, what has uh, sort of one of the themes is, is to reach out and talk to the healthcare team specifically about your experiences if you're feeling so overwhelmed or burnt out or that you, you really can't sort of fulfill that role anymore. It's absolutely understandable um, to feel that way for a variety of reasons. And so the thing to do is to, is to communicate um, to those who can actually help. And that's first and foremost going to be the, the patient or the care recipient's healthcare team who can then provide and marshal resources in the form of, if, if need be, mental health counselors, um, uh, you know, psychosocial professionals um, to help kind of develop a plan for what that might look like. 
Thank you. Does anyone else want to add to that? Okay. Um, so another question um, uh, for Doctor for for Ms. Flynn. Um, what advice can you provide it to cope with emotions when in remission as a caregiver? Oh, and another excellent uh, question. So you were caregiving maybe, and it was a full-time job, and thankfully your loved one got better. Um, and now um, you aren't perhaps uh, needed as much as how I'm kind of understanding this question. Um, and so um, I think um, one of the ways to kind of bridge that um, decrease in caregiving is to offer your support to other people that are going through the caregiving experience. You have a wealth of experience. Um, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? Um, and to share that with people that are maybe first-time caregivers, are new to caregiving, are struggling. Um, so I would reach out um, to the medical team for your for your loved one um, to to say you know I I would be interested in perhaps um, budding up with someone who's a new caregiver and kind of telling them what how how what worked in your experience um, and uh, to help them kind of through that. Excellent, um, fantastic. Thank you so much. We have a last late-breaking question. Um, so here's a one. It's a, actually, Sarah, it's a, um, Ms. Kelly, it's a follow-up. Um, I'm an oncology social worker and need clarification regarding respite care. Are you referring to private duty help provided by agencies? Most people state they cannot afford such help and want something for free. So could you comment further Yes, on that? I can comment on that. So most respite care is going to be through an agency, and there may be a cost involved with it. Um, that really being uh, because uh, with volunteers, it's not likely that they would be able to provide specific medical tasks, and you would want someone there um, who could be able to provide those tasks and who you would trust um, with your loved one. Where you might find uh, maybe a shorter-term respite care that's a volunteer basis would be with um, friendly visiting or compassionate visiting, and that would be you know maybe for an hour or so someone would come and and sit with your loved one. Um, again, not providing any sort of medical care, but just being there with them, um, and that may provide um, you know an hour or two of uh, a form of respite care. But in terms of having you know a day or so or more of respite care that is usually through agencies. Um, and if there are specific questions about um, finding financial assistance to help with some of the costs, you know, definitely reach out to us. And do you think that, like this is a nurse, it might not be used the word respite care, but someone who needs to have some help, some care, some actually physical care, like, oh, I don't know, physical therapy or home health aid services, that, that mm. might be covered by um, either um, insurance or Medicare, Medicaid, for a period yeah. of time just to have those supplemental services. So does that, do we ever do that as a combination to help or with respite? So yes. Um, so often, just when I talk about there might be some cost involved in it, usually um, you can get um, some coverage depending on what your insurance um, policy is and what it does cover. And again, um, you know, you would want to have that conversation with the medical team. You would want to have that conversation with your insurance to see what they cover. Um, and then, uh, obviously, you can always call us to also help you with some of those questions. Excellent. 
Wow. This is, now I know we could go on all afternoon, but I, I really want to thank our speakers. This has been an extraordinary call. It's, I, we've done caregiving calls before, but this one has had a, a whole special feel to it. Um, and um, uh, I really appreciate our speakers. It's just been phenomenal, each of you. And also our participants also by asking really such great questions and, um, and, really, um, and, and questions that really kind of dovetailed on each other and are really important um, issues. And I know that there are many more of you who have questions. So I just want to go over with you how to get those other questions that you may have um, answered. So um, in terms of um, we don't want to ever sidestep, of course, your healthcare team. I think a number of our speakers have mentioned the healthcare team. Definitely let your healthcare team know if you have any need for support. Maybe your healthcare team includes many different disciplines, um, um, and, um, and many of the disciplines on the call today um, are on that uh, team of nurses, social workers, um, uh, patient navigators, um, people who can really help to kind of with some of the issues that you're raising here. Um, and so um, definitely um, bring your concerns to your healthcare team. I often feel like the Q&A portion of these calls is, is kind of like a nice role play for the questions that you might take back to your healthcare team. So those of you who even asked questions, I would, I would tell you to take the questions back to your treating healthcare team and see what they have to say because it's always good to get that, that they know you very well. Um, in addition to that, however, I know you all like to have places to go to for resources. You'll get, of course, a resource list from us at the end of the call. But many people will call the National Cancer Institute. It's a wonderful resource. Um, they have an 800 number, and they also have a website, uh, www.cancer.gov, which actually has a live chat feature where you can post a question and to get an answer. And, of course, we do recommend that you certainly feel free to contact our staff at Cancer Care. Of course, um, we're here uh, to help you. Uh, um, Ms. Kelly is an excellent example of our staff here, our social workers, and really, um, just really, um, and that is a free service, and that's something you might want to really consider taking advantage of. There are lots of organizations out there, so we're gonna get, you're going to get a listing of them as well. Um, also, I just want to mention that we have two programs coming up that may be of interest to you. One is... Um, titled Joys and Challenges of Pets in Your Home When You Have Cancer. It's going to take place on Monday, April 8th. And another one is uh, called Managing Eye and Vision Changes Related to Cancer Treatments, and that's taking place on Monday, April 15th. So there are uh, programs coming up that we have that might be of interest to you, and you may find others as well that you would be interested in participating in. Most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with as a caregiver or in coping with cancer. Um, I'd like you to know that you're now part of this support network, all these resources, all of us here to help you. And um, you can reach us um, uh, by calling um, uh, Cancer Care at any time and all the other resources as well. So I want to thank you all for your participation today. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.